Good morning. This is Dina Marie with a Franciscan moment on Matre Radio. The history of the Franciscan order is a long and fruitful one. Founded by St. Francis in 1209, the Franciscans are dedicated to the apostolic life of poverty and preaching. But did you know that the Franciscans consist of three orders? The first order comprises priests and lay brothers who have sworn to a life of prayer, preaching, and penance. The second order, founded in 1212, consists of cloister nuns known as the Poor Clares, while the third order consists of religious members and laypersons who observe Franciscan principles in teaching, charity, and social service. With me today to discuss the beauty of Franciscan life is Father Dan Petit, Franciscan friar and member of the third order regular. Good morning, Father Dan. Thanks for coming back during our summer season. Oh, you're welcome. Good to be with you again. Well, I know last time that we talked, you were getting ready to head off for a week-long meeting with the rest of your community for a particular chapter in Loretto, Pennsylvania, which I was not familiar with the Loretto. It put that on the map for me. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about this third order regular. You're part of the most sacred heart or the Sacred Heart of Jesus province. And uh, this idea of having a chapter and gathering for a regular meeting, what's this all about for the Franciscan community? Well, the every four years, we have three choices placed before us to elect our provincial. So the provincial, who's the leader of the province, you know, kind of, I guess if you want to put that in more familiar terms, you'd say the CEO of a corporation, although it's not quite operates the same way. The model for this is, of course, Christ himself as servant, but he's the provincial and we elect him and we're given three choices on how to do that. One is by mail election and ballot. A second is by chapter delegates and the delegates get together and elect him and you know, membership sends delegates that they vote on there. Or the other third way is chapter of the whole, and we all go and elect him. And that's what we chose this time uh, two weeks ago. We, all of us, all the members of the province got together in Loretto, Pennsylvania, and we elected our our provincial and his um, vicar, who is the vicar provincial, the second in charge, and then four council members who help govern the province and implement our strategic planning for the next four years. And that's what they that's what the chapter is all about is electing our leadership. And tell us a little bit, Father Dan, just about, we were talking off the air about Loretto, Pennsylvania, just some of the significance of the presence of the Franciscans there. It kind of surprised me um, a little bit of of where you met and then the St. Francis University and and some of the property right there. Well, you know, the the St. Francis University began as the College of St. Francis. It's the oldest Franciscan university in the United States founded in 1847 by the brothers uh, of St. Francis from Ireland. And they had established this charter to start this college in 1847. And in 1910, they got together with some Brooklyn brothers from Brooklyn up in New York and some other brothers uh, from Spalding in Nebraska. And these three groups petitioned Rome, the Third Order Regular, 
to switch over to the third order regular. And in 1910, that's what happened. And it happened in Loretto. And they began then, they weren't uh, going to be only a lay brother community, but it also included now priests. So some of the brothers began to study in seminary to become ordained priests. And that was that's what began the Sacred Heart Province in 1910 in the United States here, where the Third Order regular sent someone from Rome to bring together this amalgamation of these three groups that wanted to join. Right. So you've got St. Francis University, and then across the properties where you met. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's pretty amazing, that story, because, of course, you know, the community of brothers, and they're in our necrology, we pray for them as deceased brothers, they go back to the 1840s, you know, where that's when the college was founded, 1847. So we built up back then in the early 1900s, a house, a big, huge building, it was called Old Main, it was all made out of wood. It had St. Francis College in there with the classrooms, it had our novitiate, the postulancy, it had the the prep school, the, the college prep school was in there for the high school boys. All this was housed in this huge three-story building. And in the early 1940s, it burned down to the ground. And the friars lost everything in the fire. And so what happened was some friends of St. Francis, there was an old dilapidated mansion across the street from the college that formerly belonged to the steel magnate Charles Schwab. He was a multimillionaire at one time. He lost everything in the in the uh, 1929 crash of the stock market and basically died a pauper up in New York. And then this home that he built in Loretto was like this mansion, and it just got dilapidated and overgrown with weeds. Well, when our place burned down, some friends of St. Francis paid the taxes on it and then handed it over to us, and that became our new home. And so that's where we now have our, I guess you'd call it our mother house, the center of our province. The provincial leadership is there. And we also have our retired friars living there as well. Right, right. It's yeah. right across the street from St. Francis University. It's just amazing. And what a great gift um, to have that given to the fr to the friars uh, to continue on the tradition and to continue on prayer. Because I think there was something you mentioned to me about prayer and uh, Charles Schwab's desire to have some prayer for him. <laughs> yeah, his yes. Sister? Yeah, his sister, actually, Kitty Corner to um, the property we have, uh, the Charles Schwab Mansion, uh, is uh, a Carmel monastery, Carmelite monastery, and Charles Schwab's sister joined the convent and said, I'm going to pray for your soul for the rest of my life. And so Charles turned around and he said, well, then I'm going to build you your monastery. And he built an exact replica of the Lisieux Carmel in Lisieux, France and built it right there in Loretto. And the Carmelites are still there to this day. It's a cloistered convent of Carmelite sisters that lived there. We've been their chaplains since their founding, and um, the TORs have, and we're still their chaplains. We have mass for them and supply the sacraments and everything. So it's uh, it's quite remarkable, uh, this relationship there and this outgrowth of 
religious life in this small town of only 200 people, Loretto, Pennsylvania. Wow. Oh, I hadn't heard it before. I I read that you were having your meeting there. And so I thought, wow, how interesting. And then I looked on the, the website for St. Francis University. I mean, the shrine and the gardens. I mean, it's quite oh, yeah. beautiful when you just look at the photos. I'd love to be able to visit. Tell us a little bit just about how you can see the Catholic faith come alive at the university property and just in that Loretto, Pennsylvania area? Well, it's in terms of Mother Nature, the, the university, it's my alma mater, and it's a beautiful campus. It's just so green there. I was just there, like being in Texas, it's 105, 110 <laughs> degrees. It's so brown and dry. I was there, and I just was struck by how green and how moist the grass is it's, and the trees and the overgrowth. We And it's called, St. Francis University has the subtitle College Among the Pines, because it really is outdoor. It's in the Allegheny Mountains. And in the fall, for example, the Allegheny Mountains just look like a bowl of sherbet with all the color. You know, it's just so beautiful. And then, of course, the sunken gardens were where Charles Schwab used to throw some of his big soirees for all of his wealthy friends like the Carnegies, the Mellons, and all these people would come and visit with them, and they'd have all these big parties. And he had the capital sins in statue form in the sunken gardens. Oh, my. Which people hauled them off. And over the years, when it was dilapidated, they all... We never did recover those, of course. We did, we put the statue of the St. Therese in there instead and, you know, this kind of thing. And there's reflective pools in there that he had put in. And we maintained all those and rehabilitated them. And it's just beautiful. Oh, wonderful. I'm talking with Father Dan Petit, Franciscan Friar. They just came back from their uh, chapter meeting and electing some of their, their provincial and other members to continue on the Franciscan order. This is the third order Friars, and what a great opportunity to learn a little bit more about our Franciscan history right here in the U.S. Father, I'm coming up to a break. And I want to talk a little bit more about the Franciscans and the, the rule that you live by and just give us a little insights on that. But why don't we take a quick break? We'll come back in the next half an hour and continue our conversation. Sounds good. Thank you, Dean Marie. This is Dina Marie, and I'm back with Franciscan friar, Father Dan Petit. We're just talking a little bit about the Franciscan life, and the Franciscans, the third order regular, just had their chapter meeting in Loretto, Pennsylvania. Father was telling us a little bit about St. Francis University, which is also located there, and just some of the community building, and what a great way for you to come together, all of the friars at different ministries around the states to come together to pray, and then to look at the next four years. Um, talking about that, you live by a, a rule. I think most of us are familiar in the Pacific Northwest of the Benedictine rule, the rule of uh, St. Benedict. We've got the Benedictine monastery at uh, Mount Angel Abbey, but you have a Franciscan rule. Give us a sense, Father Dan, of this Franciscan rule, the rule of St. Francis. And I mean, it was developed over 800 years ago. How do you, how do you keep that going? in modern times? Well, actually, what happened was Francis did initially give us, I guess you could say, a rule for the Third Order, which was just, it was lay people, it was hermits, it, and it, it wasn't differentiated for religious like myself and lay people. It was just 
what they call a letter to all the faithful. And that would be the lay faithful who wanted to follow him. And he sent them two letters. And it was under Pope Nicholas IV that we got the first rule for the secular Franciscans. And he was a Franciscan himself who became Pope in the uh, late 13th century. And he gave the first rule to the seculars. And the third order actually came into being, at least my community, the men, came into being in the 14th century when a group of hermits decided to come together and live in community. And then we adapted the rule of Pope Nicholas IV to ourselves and have since had it rewritten by the Holy See several times. The most recent rule that was rewritten was Pope John Paul II in 1982. That's our rule now, and that's all updated for the times. Mm -hmm. What are some of the different core, I guess, the core tenets of the rule that how you live, how you serve, how you live in community, the Franciscan way, so to speak? Well, you know, what's interesting. Vatican II, you've probably heard this before, said to religious return to the sources of your founder. And of course, we all did that. The Franciscans, the Dominicans, all of us have done this. And the Third Order did that as well. And we started a movement of rewriting our rule at the grassroots level, starting with the Franciscan sisters. And then later on, the TORs got involved. And we all together came up with this rule. And we went to John Paul II and said, will you approve this? And he looked at it and he said, this is all about penance and conversion. He said, I need this in the church. He said, put a chapter in there on celibate chastity and I'll approve it. Wow. And so it was, it was a grassroots rule based on prayer and study that the sisters and, and um, the brothers did to arrive at the charism. And what we arrived at was Conversion and penance is at the core of the third order charism in the church. Hmm. And John Paul saw that and he said, I need this in the church and I approve it in 1982. And that became then our official rule. Right. And, you know, today, Father Dan, as you live out your vocation, you're in parish ministry. There's different types of ministries that the third order regular, the TORs are currently involved in, you know, Tell us a little bit about some of those different ministries and and how you're able to live out that rule in these different areas of the church. Well, I think uh, for I, I'm particularly sensitive to one area in particular, and that would be the way in which preaching ministry is related to conversion, of course, which would hopefully lead then to the confessional. And I mean, we've always had a saying that since I've been in the province, at least you, if you, if you preach it, you got to pastor it. And that's kind of what we do. Uh, you know, we try to preach. And of course, it's, it's preaching, obviously not to just like the old missions of the late early 20th century, where they just convict you of sin and you're going to hell and all this. No, we preach the mercy of Christ. And the passion of Christ and devotion to the Eucharist. That was very close to the heart of Francis. Uh, we preach um, conversion and penance for a deeper love of Christ and the Blessed Mother. I mean, these are the kinds of things. And you get deeply into the gospel and you start to realize how slow we are to respond to the call of Christ. And you say, gee, something needs to change. Well, that's conversion, you know. 
And so that's kind of what I find in the parish. For example, just this Sunday, I I had the five o'clock mass on Sunday, which finished at about six, and I heard confessions till quarter to eight, an hour and forty-five minutes. You know, they and it's not because you tell people because they're garbage. No, you tell people like, gee, there's something really incredible going on here, and they want to get into it. So yeah. they repent and they go to confession. And that's one of the ways I think our charism, especially in the church, works itself out is you you pastor what is preached on Sunday. You know. Right. Pastor what is preached. And right now you're serving in Fort Worth, Texas at St. Andrew Church. There's three Franciscan friars that are on staff. Right. And that's something we attempt to do as often as possible as we as, as friars, of course, we have community life, and uh, we generally try and avoid one priest parishes for that reason, because we are called to community in the vows of community life and fraternal life. Right. I mean, that was big for St. Francis, was that fraternal life. I mean, that was really the core of everything would flow out of that fraternity, that community togetherness. Yes, and that's right. Like he said in his testament, he said, the Lord gave me brothers. Now, admittedly, though, and this is the other side of it, Francis suffered the most at the hands of his brothers. Right. And there's the cross. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, and that is, I mean, uh, communal life, I think, does just like married life does, I'm sure it has its challenges. Anytime you attempt to live in close proximity with another human being, it gets, it can get tough, you know, and. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but you make that, you make it work. And I think, you know, what, what amazes me, Father, is um, for the per- person in the pew to have the connection with a religious community in your parish. Because so many people, I think, don't have that experience. And so whether they see our religious sisters, whether they see our friars, it makes a difference in, I think, our understanding of the universal church. Right. It really does. And of course, I'm down here in the South in Texas. Uh, it's it's uh, very, it's heavily Baptist, of course. And uh, it, there are occasions, I don't do it all the time, but there are occasions when I will go out in my habit. And uh, sometimes I, I don't know what they think I am, but it's like, it's so unusual to see a man dressed in a habit like that uh, yeah. with a cord. And it's like, wow, what is that? Is that like, is that some kind of goth uniform or what is that? You know, it's like they they don't know what to make of it sometimes, you know? Yeah. But again, that evangelization and hopefully it will open some hearts of just a conversation, right? For We just need a dialogue and get to know one another. and, And that opens the door to Christ working in us. Yeah, no, it does. And um, it does. I, you know, and there is, uh, the spirit blows where he wills. The witness to the gospel is not, therefore, under our control. If we really let it go, if we really let the spirit to be free in our lives, he will blow where he wills and he'll do what he wills. And a lot of times without you even knowing he's doing it. I mean, that's what I've discovered. A lot of times that testimony is in the Holy Spirit. And 
that's given whether you're conscious of it or not. I mean, as long as you're in the Lord and you're trying to live holiness, stay faithful to your vows, stay faithful to your priesthood, Spirit's going to blow where he wills and give testimony on your behalf. You know, right. And and try to draw people to Christ. Exactly. Father Dan Petit, Franciscan friar with us, giving us some insights on the Franciscan order and the third order regular. He's part of the Sacred Heart of Jesus chapter or province uh, that serves in parts of the in U.S. In fact, where, where, where yeah. does your... This, the Sacred Heart province touch in terms of the different states or ministries? Right now, we have uh, we have two parishes here in Fort Worth, Texas. We have uh, two in Florida in uh, the St. Petersburg Diocese. It's now, it does, it's just St. Petersburg. And then we have several in the Loretto area. And then, of course, we have Franciscan University, which was founded by uh, the TORs and the bishop there in 1946. And then, of course, 1847, St. Francis University. And yeah. and then we have a couple of friars working in hospital ministry. And they're, they're um, some in Pittsburgh. We have one in um, New Jersey. And they're doing hospital service and ministry as well. Wonderful. Well, we love it. And we'll continue to pray for the Franciscan order to continue to grow and flourish. And again, that conversion is so important, preaching and penance. And so I love that, the heart of St. Francis. Father Dan, it's always fun to talk with you. And I always learn something new as I as I hear about your life story and your vocation. And you continue to bless all those folks in Fort Worth, Texas. Would you help us close with your prayer and blessing? Sure. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit to revive us in your love, that we may ever draw closer to your Son, Jesus Christ, especially in the Eucharist and through the sacrament of holy penance. And we ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. And may the blessed mighty God descend upon you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Father Dan. Have a great summer season. All right. Thank you. You too.